Welcome to the 26th episode of the Hail Mary podcast. I'm A. Tobes, and I'm joined by my husband, The Tobes. We're back to give our hot takes on UTSA's Conference USA championship win and throw some Hail Mary shots downfield for our listeners to love or hate. Let's get started. We are the champions. Let that sink in. The Roadrunners are the Conference USA champions in just our 11th season, beating Western Kentucky for a second time this season, once again in dramatic fashion. Western Kentucky scored on their first two drives, setting up the expected back-and-forth track meet. However, they held that lead for less than seven and a half minutes in the first quarter and never regained the lead again. Western Kentucky was plagued by a lack of execution throughout the first half, while UTSA established their run game, scoring four rushing touchdowns from Harris, Brady, and Sincere to take a 28-13 lead into halftime. Early in the third quarter, Western Kentucky made two crucial mistakes a muff punt recovered by UTSA, and an interception by Antonio Parks that the offense capitalized on, taking a 42-13 lead. It seemed like the game was over at that point, but Western Kentucky would not go away quietly. They mounted a comeback, battling back to within eight points in the fourth quarter, but it would be too little, too late. Just like last time, the game ended in dramatic fashion with a last-second interception by the defense, this time by Jamal Sam sealing the victory and securing UTSA's first championship in front of over 41,000 fans. What were your thoughts in the game? What a crowd. Wow. It was, what, 41,148? Yeah. Third largest in UTSA and Conference USA championship history. Look, as season ticket holders, we had until November 30th to lock down our season tickets. And then after that, it was released to... All of San Antonio, and I'll be honest with you, I don't think there was many tickets to release. No, it was it was great to be around different faces. More importantly, it just felt like we were there for a celebration. Whether UTSA won or not, it just felt like everybody was just there to cheer on UTSA. And if they lost, it's okay because our guys were there on a big stage for the very first time, and it's one of those memorable moments that you have, just like the first game. And so I, I think. You know, you've long said you always remember your first. Mm -hmm. And this was a big first for UTSA, first championship game. And more importantly, the first, not only the first conference championship game, it's the first one at home. Yeah, absolutely. And the student section was insane. I mean, the student section has been packed all season long. I mean, they have had the best attendance ever, which has been amazing. But not only were they filling up the bottom section of the Alamo Dome, they filled up the 200 section, and there were apparently even tickets on the 300 section for the students. So it's just absolutely incredible to see so much support from the UTSA students, you know, and just seeing them have that real college football experience that you know most of us did not experience because we didn't have a football team it's just amazing from going from that commuter school that everybody makes fun of to this yeah I mean it's just been incredible and you know the more I thought about it the more you know it came to me that it's so cool this year because of the fact that it's kind of a return to what it was pre-covid and so you have people that are getting out and -hmm. about and so that's it was just such a great culmination on December 3rd there Absolutely. in the Alamo Dome. Let's talk real quick about the cell phones, though, the lights that came on. I know mm-hmm. they kind of came on in the fourth quarter, but I think they also came on a little bit earlier than that. And, you know, there was some kind of everybody trying to figure out who it was that started it. And then it comes out on Twitter that it was Farah Hamed. I think I pronounced her name correctly. If I didn't, I'm sorry. But <clears throat> she threw out a tweet saying, oh, my gosh, is this... You know, Coach Trailer talking about something I started. Mm-hmm. And Farah, look, it wasn't just what you started. It was what everybody grabbed onto. And Antonio Parks even mentioned it after the game and said he shed a tear. Whether he did or not doesn't matter, but I'm sure it was overwhelming for these players mm-hmm. to all of a sudden go out onto the field and see all these UTSA fans putting on their cell phone lights. But more importantly, kind of shining the light on them. Right. And at a point where they needed that, you know, little extra kick because the momentum was kind of shifting at that point, you know, Western Kentucky was getting back into the game and it was starting to get, you know, it was a one, one um, possession game and it, you know, hopefully was the spark that they needed to, 
you know, kind of keep that momentum going. And, and that's what it turned out to be. I don't know when she started doing that, but Farrah knew the right time and it felt like everybody else knew. And here's the coolest part about it. She's a student. And of course it had to start from the student section. Here you are. I have been, mm-hmm. you just talked about how great the students have been. This is the type of tradition that we need to lock onto. So let's kind of go into the game a little bit more. Cause there's one other thing, uh, thought that I had here and at halftime, our nephew Colton came up to me, surprised <laughs> me out of nowhere. Uh, and he said he was going to, that I'm just going to owe him 20 bucks because my prediction from last week, where I said that Western Kentucky was going to win, that it wasn't going to, that it wasn't coming true. He's right. I did say that, but I also said that if Tariq Woolen played, UTSA was going to win. Well, lo and behold, guess who played? Tariq Woolen. So let's go into back to the, take a look back at the preview that I had. Look, Tariq played, um, Zappi went after him. He didn't do that the first game. So there was things from that first game that clearly, you know, Western Kentucky probably didn't, you know, learn from. They stayed away from him that first game. They decided to go after him this game. Well, of course, because he, he's been injured. And yeah, he gave up that long touchdown in the, the first uh, drive for Western Kentucky. But man, Tariq looked like an NFL prospect that night because he continually made plays, whether it was um, defending on passes where he kept playing um, essentially the receiver's hands, just like I talked about how North Texas did that to UTSA the week before. Mm -hmm. He certainly kept doing this against a really good pass offense. And there was a great preview video from Josiah uh, having the voiceover um, where, you know... (laughs) You kind of cringed a little when they said, "Choose this cowardice day, or choose violence." Yeah, I choose, choose violence. violence. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, Tariq had this huge hit on one of the receivers. Uh, I believe it was in the third quarter. And let me tell you, I, he was a little hobbled after that. But man, what a moment! Mm-hmm. Tariq really brought it. So um, you know, again, with his presence there, it changed UTSA's defense, and I think it allowed them to, you know, go a little bit more one-on-one at times. And overall, I just felt like the defense played well. Right. I mean, you know, honestly, you had mentioned this before the game. Like, we were playing tough on defense, and yet we were playing the ball, not the man. So we didn't have a bunch of pass interference calls because a lot of times when you get into those one-on-one matchups with a team like Western Kentucky, that's the thing that kind of comes back to haunt the defense is that, you know, they feel like they have to – make these plays and get pass interference calls um, to stop, you know, a touchdown or what have you. But we were able to stop, you know, the, or, you know, to either bat the ball down or to break it up or, you know, just get the concentration off for the receiver so that they couldn't catch the ball and avoid having the penalties that normally come with those types of plays. And, you know, the the score was 41 points, right? And I had said that it was going to be 48-41 Western Kentucky was going to win. So, Score was close, obviously in the different UTSA's favor, but you know I don't know what it was about forty-one. It just felt like if it got to if somebody was scoring forty, it was going to be Western Kentucky, and unfortunately that would mean that they were going to win. So you know it, it just seemed like that was the threshold, and whoever got there first was going to win the game. And UTSA got over forty-first. Exactly, and you know, like I said, the defense held their own. And I had said in the preview that the offensive line had to hold their own, too. And for the most part, I felt like they did. Uh, you know, they gave Frank time to throw. There were times that, you know, he got a little bit of happy feet. But that's just Frank. I mean, that, that's not that's not something new for him. So, you know, I think, I think he would have preferred, obviously, to have um, gotten some better snaps at times. Because they did throw off some of the handoffs that they had and some of the plays. But overall, I felt like... The best way to describe this game was that the biggest difference between both teams was that UTSA not only was prepared to play, but they showed up to execute what they had prepared. Whereas Western Kentucky was prepared for this game, but they didn't execute. They had a lot of mistakes. Yeah, I mean, really through the first half and then halfway through the third quarter, I mean, Western Kentucky's mistakes and lack of execution are absolutely what kept them out of the game. I mean, we've seen them mount a comeback in dramatic fashion before. That's exactly what happened against Marshall. Marshall had a lead going into halftime. Western Kentucky scored, 
I think it was like 40-something points in the second half to end up winning the game. So they're absolutely capable of scoring a lot of points when they're executing well, but, you know, they were clearly not executing well in the first half and and really into the, the first half of the third quarter, whether it was the bad snaps, the drops. I mean, it just, you know, fortunately for UTSA, Western Kentucky was making mistakes and we were able to capitalize on those mistakes and we didn't make any of our own. You know, I, I felt comfortable in the game once UTSA took their first lead. Essentially, you had Western Kentucky come out, make a big play on their first drive. UTSA responded. And then Western Kentucky, Western Kentucky excuse me, was driving again. Mm-hmm. But they make some mistakes, like you already said, and they have to settle for a field goal. At that moment, I said, if you, at least I said in my head, if UTSA doesn't capitalize on this, then we're in trouble. But I just don't see how they... They don't do that. Like, they can't capitalize. And they did. Frank led them right back down the field. We got another touchdown. And at that point, when it became 14-10, to I I don't know what it was inside of me, but it was like, I was at peace. It was like, we're going to win this game. And I I just can't wait to, like, tweet afterwards to, like, celebrate with everybody because this is the moment that's needed. And then that next drive... You know, Western Kentucky's driving down again, but they settled for a field goal, and I said, there it is. Like, right. once again, like, if it wasn't sealed before on UTSA's drive, it's sealed now because Western Kentucky has not been able to execute, and here we are. Right. Western Kentucky having to settle for field goals is almost as good as a punt, you know, based on what we know about their ability to score. I know it felt like it was premature, but for me, when I was taking it all in, I was like... Western Kentucky now has to chase UTSA down. They can do it, but having to take on all, like all of UTSA's defenders, specifically trying to stop Clarence Hicks, specifically trying to make make sure that Charles Wiley is bottled up, make sure that defensive line isn't getting into the backfield, that's just tough for any team to do. And Western Kentucky just, again, was not up for it. Right. But, you know, we did have to let them back into the game just to make it interesting. Well, that was what I was going to reference. It was like, we couldn't completely blow them out. So it led to something that went off on your watch. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, between, you know, really that fourth quarter, I mean, probably the end of the third quarter into the fourth quarter, I had five high heart alerts on my (laughs) Apple Watch. (laughs) It was ridiculous. It was like all game. I was feeling good. I was feeling confident. And then... And the end of that third quarter into the fourth quarter, when Western Kentucky was mounting their comeback, and there was a point where it just felt like we just couldn't stop them. You know, they were catching all the balls that they dropped in the first half. You know, they were just charging down the field and, you know, these 50, 30 to 50 second drives. <laughs> yeah, I, I, my heart was about to stop. And then when we didn't score on our last drive and we had to punt, I felt like I was having flashbacks to the UAB game, except the roles were reversed. And all I could think of in my head was when you had said, you know, when Bill Clark made the decision to punt, that was the flinch that won the West. And I just kept thinking, God, I hope this is not the flinch that's, you know, going to win the conference, you know, title for Western Kentucky instead of UTSA. But the one thing that we had going for us that made made it completely different was that they had to score a touchdown and get a two-point conversion just to tie it. So we still would have had overtime. Um, it's not like they would have won outright. Right. But, man, if we would have gone to overtime, I'm not sure that my heart could have handled that. In all transparency, though, I, I didn't really help the cause because after UTSA would score, I'd be like, oh, go for two. Or then we'd go, <laughs> we'd do or the out, kickoff. Every kickoff and you'd I'd be like, onside it. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when Sincere got... We'll talk a little bit about since here in a second, but after he scored his t- that touchdown after the um, the interception by Antonio Parks, uh, you know we were kicking off from about the twenty, and I said onside it, and you were like stop it. So I certainly wasn't helping the high heart alerts, but I do. But again, want they to didn't fo- start until the. That's true, but I do want to focus on something that you did say in the first half because I want to revisit it real quick. We know that UTSA has gone through issues with bad snaps. And it, it, it did sure. still hurt them in this game. 
but hurt somebody else even more oh, yeah. because Western Kentucky was having some problems and you leaned over and told me that during the first half. Right. I mean, as we were watching the game, you know, the first quarter, I noticed that he kept having so high snaps, which is not typical for what we've seen from Western Kentucky, um, at least in the games of theirs that we've watched. And I had said, you know, at some point that's going to come back to bite him, I think. And then not more than like two seconds after I said that, one of them went sailing over Bailey Zappi's head. And, um, you know, those were, in some cases, those were the difference. They were drive killers for Western Kentucky. Absolutely. I mean, those are the kinds of mistakes that you cannot have if you're going to be a championship team. And, you know, yeah, we had a couple of snaps that weren't ideal and, and they threw off Frank's, you know, pass to, or potential handoff to Sincere. But, you know, they weren't the kinds of bad snaps that, really could be detrimental and frankly because we've had injuries you know um and we've had different people playing center frank is so used to adjusting to him that i think he almost doesn't even think about it the way that another quarterback would like he's just almost dialed into having a low snap or a bad snap or yeah i mean if if there's one thing that i've got to praise frank for is that he's got those kind of cat-like reflexes right it i don't think and the way you described it was perfect because I don't think he even thinks about it. You know, he does react to them, but I think it's become second nature to him that if that the snap is bad, he's able to recover it right. and get back into the play. So, yeah, you're right. And and I think, I don't know how much it played into it, but crowd noise sure was coming in there. Sure. Western Kentucky is built to handle crowd noise, but you cannot replicate what the Dome does. And as, as much as anybody can criticize the Dome... If it was an outdoor stadium, it would be loud, but it wouldn't be as reverberating as it was right. in the dome. Yeah, the acoustics in the dome are just completely different than being in an outside stadium. And so you don't have to have as many people in it to make it sound like you have twice as many people there. And, you know, I, like I said, the crowd was in it from the very beginning. Right. And, you know, even though it was... You know, obviously, it was a 6 o'clock kickoff on a Friday, and people were trying to, you know, get there in time because, you know, some people weren't able to take the day off. You know, we were, but others weren't. So it yeah. just felt like once you entered the Dome, everybody was locked in, and everybody was just going to be loud. And, right. you know, I felt like it did get to Western Kentucky. It did, you know, it phased them at times. And with these snaps, you know, it, it certainly... Certainly made it much more difficult for them to win a championship. So let's talk about the offense real quick. You know, you had noted that there was more of a change of game plan. That, right. You know, I was just glad there was a game plan because I had mentioned a couple of times Trailer kept saying, oh, I don't know how we're going to beat Western Kentucky. Oh, I'm not sure how you stop Bailey Zappi. And it was like, man, you're not inspiring confidence right now with these, you know, interviews that you're doing. So I hope you have a plan. I mean, which I knew he did. But, um, you know, obviously they had the run game as their, you know, game plan. Yeah, yeah, this time. It, and at times you had mentioned, you know, it's almost like it was a Southern Miss kind of um, game plan where, you know, not that we were playing the Wildcat, but that we were really trying to control the clock and slow the game down. Because, right. you know, if it took us a long time to drive down the field and score, as long as we did score, you know, we knew Western Kentucky – was going to score very quickly, but it would keep our defense, you know, fresh if we could stay on the field long on offense. So. Absolutely. And, you know, that, that's the thing about this UTSA offense that we've talked about all year. They've been efficient. Like, there's, as you know, we can criticize Frank. We can criticize the receivers for dropping. We can criticize the offensive line for making mistakes. But the bottom line is they make plays. And right. they're able to continue to, you know, extend drives by making said plays. So, it didn't stop at the championship game. Right. And, you know, it, it, again, it and showed that UTSA was prepared for their, essentially, I'm going to call it their final exam. Mm -hmm. I know that we still have a bowl game, but it felt like this was the final exam. Like, this was it. So they studied. You know, they had their ebbs and flows during the season, just like in a semester. But when it came time to the final exam, they looked like they were completely ready. And I'm going to say it again, Western Kentucky wasn't. Right, and... and it's almost, you know, Western Kentucky, they said, had changed their defense, and so that was why they felt like going to the run game versus passing, you know, was kind of the better idea, and that, you know, again, you couldn't expect Frank to win 
two games, you know, or win this game the same way that he won the last game with his arm because he had probably the game of his lifetime the first time around. But, you know, we also went back and threw in some trick plays and, you know, Western Kentucky had seen one of the two before. They certainly probably saw the other one from the Memphis game. Yeah, um, game film, yeah. Yeah, the game film. So this time we threw them both in and, and they were both <laughs> successful. I mean, okay, so you have the Cephas to Harris pass that we saw in the Western Kentucky game. Mm-hmm. In, that, in the first game, it, it was a touchdown. In this game, it was almost a touchdown, but it at least got us to around the goal line so that Sincere could punch it in. But then we had the Memphis call where Brady gets that backwards pass. At Memphis, it was only like an eight-yard pass to Franklin because Zakari came back to Brady mm-hmm. because of the fact that there was coverage downfield. This one, Western Kentucky bit on the short one and started and allowed Zakari to release. You, you can't just let Zakari release and go up against a safety for that ball. Mm-hmm. Once again, Brendan Brady, uh, I just, we missed him all year. Like, yeah. there, there's just moments, and, you know, it, we probably should have highlighted them a little bit more during the season, but there are just some moments where he, we really missed him, and this was one of them. Um, this was could have been one of them if he had, you know, been out for the rest of the season. But, right. man, great pass. He had some great rushing, but this trick play, I mean, he puts it where Zakari is the only one that's going to come down with it, right. and he came and, down with it. And he could have only thrown that to Zakari or himself, you know, because apparently both of them are really good at, you know, the one-handed catches. JT Clark, I'm sure, could have could have stepped into that too, you know, but <laughs> no, Zakari I mean, right. <laughs> loves the one-handed catch, you know. I mean, it's become his bread and butter, if you will. Even though he claims that, that that's not, you know, something that he loves to do. But that catch, like, Sakari is probably one of the only people who could have caught that. Although we did see some, you know, a great one-handed catch by Brendan Brady himself in the game as well. Yeah, and, and I, we've seen Brent, Brendan do something like that before. But we kind of shrug it off now. And I think that that's kind of the evolution of this team is that, you know, over those last two seasons under trailer, these guys are making some one-handed catches. They're making some spectacular plays. But I think from a... A fan point of view, we've seen it so often now that we've just kind of, it's almost like a, yeah, of course that was going to happen. Like, right. <laughs> like there's no surprise to a Roadrunner fan when, right. when that occurs. All right, so let's talk real quick about Sincere and his unsportsmanlike um, penalty. Yeah, I still, I mean, I have no idea what they saw on that. In the Dome, you couldn't see what happened, you know, it because, of course, everyone's celebrating. You're not really paying attention to what Sincere's doing. But then when we went back and we watched the, the replay, I mean, I think I rewound it like three or four times. I have no idea what Sincere did to get that penalty. I mean, you see Zakari kind of in the background. Dancing around. Dancing around. But still, even that is not... I, I mean, I still feel like that would be a stretch if, you know, they really meant to call it on Zakari instead of Sincere. But... I have no idea what Sincere did. And you can see Trailer, like, just, like... Sincere just got up and it looked like he yelled, like... Like, something like that. I mean, yeah, it, it I mean, was just... It, it was nothing, like you said. It was almost like the the Iowa State penalty where right, the receivers... Yeah. yeah, where the receivers going downfield. And then he makes some slight, like, celebration kind of type move, but it's not even... Not he even basically just of... slows down as he runs into yeah. the end zone, and they called it an unsportsmanlike penalty. It was just the most ridiculous thing. And this is this was, I think, on the same level because all he did was get up. He didn't go into the you know student defender's section. face. Yeah, he didn't yeah. yell at anybody. I mean, yeah. I thought he had gone in the student section, but I think it was a couple of other roadrunners that kind of went around and then went off. But they didn't get they didn't get called for the penalty. It, they said number three. So right. I, I don't know. Um, Let's go to the defense then. Like I said, defense played, I thought, really well, considering some of the, what they were going to be under. But let's talk real quick about Rashad Wisdom. Once again, leads with the head yeah, and gets kicked out of the game at a crucial time, too, when, you know, we had started to get conservative on offense, mm-hmm. you know, and the defense was being put into some tougher positions. So I know that everybody's looking at there um, was looking at the play and they were like, that's, you know, booed or whatever. And it felt like there were a lot of people there and there were a lot of first timers sure, <laughs> in the college sure. game. I think they were confusing some of these things, but what wasn't clear on the screen when you're watching it 
if you rewatch it, you yeah, clearly see that he hits Stearns right in the helmet with his helmet. It's not close. Yeah, yeah he finishes much... him off with the shoulder, but... Yeah, it's it, not close. It was very much what we saw last season when, you yes. know, Wisdom had his two targeting penalties. Um, you know, he had really cleaned that up and it hadn't had any issues this season. And, you know, it was kind of disappointing to see that happen again, particularly at such a crucial point in the game. Kalechi came in. He hasn't had a ton of playing time. Um, there were some, some issues that he had. I mean, he played as well as he could, but, you know, we've we put ourselves in a bad situation at a time when we didn't need to do that. You're you essentially know? bringing a cold player off the bench. I mean, if it's right. basketball, it's you're bringing the guy that hasn't been warming up and putting right. him into a game. But I think the biggest thing to take away from here is, you know, Rashad really does need to learn to keep his head up because he's either going to hurt himself or even worse. You know, we know that he's an upstanding guy. So if he injures somebody else, I think it'll really hurt his psyche. Oh, I think it'd be devastating for him. Yeah. So I, I I, I get that everybody gets a little, you know, especially on from the UTSA side, gets riled up about this. But that was textbook, you know. Yep. Um, targeting. Targeting call. And honestly, he's just got to clean that up. That said, the one of the last drives, Corey Mayfield was <laughs> had an opportunity for a big interception. Pretty much could have ended the game at that point. Right. Um, but, you know... I think um, our, our friend Big Brown was like, oh, I think there was, you know, offensive pass interference. But when you go go back and actually you saw the replay right after that, you realize he's actually falling backwards. He just doesn't make the catch. And, you know. That my, is a catch that he will forever in his life want back. Right. My brother played cornerback in, in high school. And so, you know, we'd always joke because there is that joke about cornerbacks that they're receivers, but they would play receivers, but they can't catch. Yeah. Um, my brother can catch. He just... Um, you know, man, you're gonna get yourself in trouble. You already owe your nephew twenty bucks. Now you're gonna owe your brother some yeah. money for saying he can't catch. <laughs> he can catch. Trust me, he can. But here's the deal. It's I remember him saying that those are the type of plays that kind of that you have to you know forget about because they do they can weigh on you. Mm-hmm. So it was big, but you know Mayfield played a really good game after that. Like you know I, I'm not saying that 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 should define his his play for the night. But those are moments that you know you're you definitely going to look back on and go, man. If I had, could get that w- one more shot at that, that would be great. So let's end with the special teams. Um, Hunter, a little bit of a tough night. He uh, he missed the field goal. I don't know that that was really uh, too much of an issue. But let's be honest, it was something with that. And, and I, I want to say it's the north side of the north side of the end of the of the dome because that particular um, field goal uh, upright. Saw a couple of missed field goals from Western, Western Kentucky. Kentucky. Saw the missed one from um, Duplessis. And then, and then the fan. <laughs> yeah, and then the fan. <laughs> I'm sorry to bring this up. But the fan that was uh, kicking those field goals. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we couldn't see any made field goals, I guess, going that way. So, <laughs> um, look, tough night uh, for anybody kicking that way uh, on field goals. But, um, look, other than that, Lucas Dean showed up to play like he always does. Um but our kick- kickoff coverage did not. No, yeah. I mean, I was happy, though, to see um, on the kickoff uh, return, you know, you've got Hunter kind of involved in tackling. And so I was kind of thinking back, though, about Jared Sackett coming in next year because, you know, now that Hunter Duplicis is out of eligibility, he's leaving, Jared's replacing him. Um, you know, and it was, as I was watching Hunter have to get involved um, in tackling, I just kept thinking, man, I hope that Jared has been practicing his tackling skills um, because yeah. we're going to need him in this kickoff coverage um, to help out because uh, we rely on uh, Hunter quite a bit. And it's not normally the role of the kicker to come in and tackle. You know, they're kind of like the, the last resort, but... We really have um, taken advantage of the fact that Hunter is very good at tackling and he's, you know, on top of that. So um, hoping that uh, Jared um, has been practicing his tackling skills. So I guess we'll find out next season. He hasn't really been kicking at South Florida, so Ooh. hopefully he can. Uh, <laughs> that's what he's been working on. But I do want to bring this up. Western Kentucky had a muff punt. Yes. Last week, Day Day fumbled on a kickoff. Mm-hmm. Guess who, who is yeah, the one who returns say. it? 
And yeah, who Donnie, recovers it? Donnie yeah. recovers his brother. <laughs> yeah. So to me, it was almost like karma restored by the Taylor brothers. Absolutely. But at the biggest moment, right? Absolutely. I mean, North Texas, I get it. We lost. That was such a sucky moment. But in the moment when we really needed these guys, Donnie was there. Absolutely. All right. Anything else that we want to go over before we uh, move on? Nope, I think, um, well, the only other thing I was going to mention was just, um, I mentioned the attendance earlier, but um, one of the many records that were broken this game, um, we'll talk about the UTSA records when we do a recap of the season, but the conference championship record that was broke um, with this game was that UTSA had five rushing touchdowns, which was, which was a new Conference USA game record. So, you know, great that we were able to do that. Again, you know, with our change of game plan, you know, we went to the run, and so, you know, we were able to score five rushing touchdowns, which um, is a new record for Conference USA. So one more, one more record to add to the list for the year. Yeah, I guess the best way to, to finish off the recap is to say, what a crowd and what a game. Absolutely. What did we learn from the game? Well, you kind of brought it up earlier, but you're not going to win a championship by being conservative in the fourth quarter. No. Um, and I well, even... we did, but we shouldn't have. <laughs> well, I, it was really more in the third quarter, but third quarter going into the fourth, really you can just say in the second half. Right. And, you know, we have just wondered, hey, look, why did why did we take the ball out of Frank's hands? Right. No reason to do that. I mean, why do you have to keep going back to the fact? And again, I think it goes back to that whole thing of overthinking. Like, no reason to overthink. Stay with your mindset unless you see something different. Let's say that we have stayed aggressive and Frank throws an interception or all of a sudden just fumbles the ball. Okay, now you can change because now you have different data that tells you, oh, maybe we need to be a little more careful with the ball. But none of that happens, so why do that? Or Um, even if Frank would have... I mean, there were a couple of times when on the RPOs where Frank kept the ball, but... You know, he could have he could have run more than just handing it off to Sincere. But I think that was by design again, and I think that's what Trailer was re- referencing was right. I'm you know staying with with this manner, and he shouldn't have. He should have given Frank more of the option, and that's why I think I go back to something you had talked we had talked about before, which was Trailer had said Frank's got the keys of the offense. He's got everything. Well, if he does, then trust him. If you trusted him to that point, why are you going back in it in the championship game? Don't do that because when you do that, that's how you lose. And that's, I think, one of the things even, you know, (laughs) I'm going to go back to West Wing, but that was one of the things that President Bartlett said. He goes, you know what the toughest thing is when somebody's in a championship game is to scrap everything they've done all season because it's not working and then to go to a whole new game plan at halftime. No reason to do that. You don't scrap what's gotten you here. Frank got you here. We've been tough on Frank at times here, but you know what? Frank did get us here. Trust Frank. I think that should be the mantra even going into the bowl game is we need to pound into Trailer's head. Trust Frank. That said, let's talk about the championship real quick. I think something we learned <laughs> is that we need to have a Puro San Antonio championship celebration. Absolutely. What do you think that entails? I mean, we're in San Antonio. What do we do when we celebrate anything? We have a river parade, man. We need to have a Conference USA championship river parade. Why not? And then you laughed when I said, you know what? What do all champions do? <laughs> what do all champions do? They said they're going to Disneyland. Why weren't our guys saying, I'm going to Six Flags or going to SeaWorld? Well, Fiesta, <laughs> Texas. That would just say, I'm going to Fiesta, Texas. <laughs> but that's the old school because there's Six Flags now. So I'm just saying. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> but I felt like that was a missed opportunity by Six Flags and SeaWorld to have said, hey, say this, or, like, sponsor some way. Because, right, because they do a thing at the beginning of the season. They do their, like, is it Rowdy Rally or whatever it's yeah, called? Like, yeah. yeah, like, let's have a championship celebration at Six Flags Fiesta, Texas. There you Why go. Not? Send the MVP. Send Sincere there. Who cares? It's cheesy, but you know what? It could be his next NIL deal. <laughs> <laughs> but it's Puro San Antonio. All right. So now that was the good news. Now the bad news when it came to this championship CUSA Commissioner Judy McLeod is a poor CUSA representative. Oh, my gosh. Look, our friend Maddie had pointed out to us that, like, she didn't seem happy in many of these conference championships. Mm -hmm. Yet we went back and we looked just to make sure. And in 2017, you found it against when FAU won their CUSA championship. 
she kind of talked to Lane Kiffin, and then she actually talked on the mic and right. said, you know, congratulations, said the administrators. And you did notice that she was a little awkward. because And she to, congratulated the losing team, too. So, yeah. But, right. yes, she, she was definitely awkward. She went for a handshake for Lane, and Lane put his arm around her. And she was like, I don't want any part of this. <laughs> like, look, I, I mean, get it. <laughs> I don't understand. Lane Kiffin comes in for a hug, and you're like, eh. I mean... It's not like he's a, you know, unattractive guy to look at. I mean, come on. <laughs> it's, it's not like you're looking at, I don't know, Brian Kelly or <laughs> something like that. <laughs> I'm just throwing out names. I'm sorry, Brian Kelly. Yeah, no offense. But, I mean, for her being the commissioner, she should be she should actually be uh, saying more about Conference USA. And right. she should really be selling it. Right. She did not. And... That, I think, should make future CUSA schools wary because if she doesn't, if she can't step up to the mic and do something like that, right? then what does that say for the future of the conference? You know what? So I'm just going to go ahead and take a Hail Mary shot right here. But this should tell the conference that this probably isn't the job for her and that they need to find a replacement. I don't think that's a Hail Mary shot. I think that's a given. <laughs> I, Look, she you know, is clearly not the person for this conference and... Somebody had a meme that was out on Twitter about how she looked like the like jilted, you know, ex who had to show up because they're still cool with your family, you know, at the holiday <laughs> event or whatever. I mean, but in, even in the photos, like she's got her eyes closed. She's not looking at trailer. Like it's just it's ridiculous. And the fact, again, that she didn't try to take the opportunity to at least I mean, even if you're not excited about UTSA, like you could have said a couple of words and like talked up Western Kentucky because they're still going to be with you next year. But yeah. yeah. Well, but then like bizarre. Western Kentucky got duped into coming back because what was it? Middle Tennessee didn't want to leave. Uh, well, yeah, they got, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're not here by choice. Let's yeah. just put that out there. <laughs> so I don't think she was happy with them either. So well, she was like, she was ready not. to start throwing middle fingers out there. She's like, man, Louisiana Tech, UTEP, why couldn't you guys have like... She's all, F all of you. <laughs> I mean, she couldn't do anything. She couldn't replace UTSA because she would have had to go all the way down to UTEP maybe to do that because UTEP is staying on the east side. I don't remember who. Yeah. I don't know who could have been the representative there. She just wanted to do a commissioner and replace, you know, Western Kentucky and UTSA. But still, the fact we're even talking about it and the fact we had to talk about the, her reaction you're right. She's it's not the ridiculous. one for the job. And I just think it makes it look even worse because she's a female and not many females, if any, have had commissioner jobs. Right. So, you know, I think you're letting down the whole well, yeah, sex. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just very disappointing when you see, you know, these people that have really should be breaking a glass ceiling and it's like, this, this is what you get us. Okay. Thanks. Appreciate it. All right. Enough Anyways, said about enough. Judy. <laughs> All right. With good performances, come back players of the game. All right. So let's start with the bootleg honorable mention on offense. Zakari, JT, and Josh. It's the UT, UTSA's amazing wide receiver trio. The bomb, the bomb squad. squad. Look, I'll give them the bomb squad, but these three amigos have done amazing all year. And I'll say this. They were this good with Frank Harris, right? Imagine Bailey Zappi having these three and running that Zach Kitley offense at Western Kentucky. They would have been unstoppable because the one thing that, that we talked about Western Kentucky having was problems with the drops. Yeah, they... These guys, Zakari and JT had incredible catches. Zakari, again, with the one-handed catch. And of course, now the nation get, got to see that. But for us, it's like, huh, if he doesn't have at least one one-handed catch, then does, did Zakari actually have a good game? I mean, honestly, like, <laughs> Trailer could totally run the, and Lenny could run the air raid here with those three. And then you throw in our wide receiver, or our tight ends that um, can also, you know, catch. I mean, you throw in Oscar and Leroy Watson. Yeah. Dan Dishman in the future. I mean, yeah. I will say this about Josh Cephas. While he didn't have, I think, the receiving game that he may have wanted, the blocking down the field was just huge. And these three all blocked downfield, and that just says a lot about them. Not only are they great receivers, but the fact that they're following with the team mentality and blocking for sincere and blocking, I would say, pretty viciously, give them respect. And in this game, 
they did everything asked for them. They made plays and they blocked. With that, let's go with the player of the game. And uh, I don't think it's that difficult. It's sincere. The MVP. He seemed determined in that first half to just carry the offense on his back. And I remember saying that to you. I think it was post-game. I was like, he just seemed determined to carry this team. And, you know, we talked about the fact that they had that Western Kentucky had dropped one safety back, so that kind of opened the lanes for him. But, you know, it's like they thought that Sincere was like the third or fourth string running back because I don't think that they really realized just how good Sincere is. And maybe it was from the first game where didn't, like, you know, they tried to stop him. And so they were like, oh, okay. They're beating us through the air, so let's make sure to to stop that, so we don't get you know hit with big plays. So yeah, I think it's funny that you say um, he was going to carry the team on his back because there was that fourth down where I mean he literally it was almost like the David Morgan kind of thing where he was like you know kind of pulling the the Western Kentucky defenders across you know whatever the line was that he had to get past yeah. to get the fourth down and. Frank's kind of pushing at him, and then the post game, Frank was like, "Nah, man, you got that because I pushed you." Sincere was like, "Yeah, man, whatever." <laughs> so I mean, you could you could see, you know, in the replay, like the strength of Sincere's legs, like just really, you know, kind of making sure that he was like pulling and getting those extra yards. And yeah, Frank was was trying to push, but um, but it was definitely all sincere. <laughs> Look, Frank. I'm fine with a lot of stuff you did that game, but let's not take credit for sincere. Like <laughs> he, was, he was laughing when he said it, so it was pretty funny. I know. I'm just saying, if you really wanted to sell it, you probably could have sold it, <laughs> sold it a little bit more. So I, that's where I'm going for it. Um, I'd give you more credit there, Frank, if you had sold it just that much more. Um, with that, let's talk about the bootleg honorable mention on defense. I'm going with Corey Mayfield. Look, for me, he's been the forgotten cornerback. I had said, hey, look, if you look at the fact that uh, you look at the PFF grades, you know, out of the three top cornerbacks we have, out of Tariq and Ken Robinson, he's the lower one out of the three. Um, and I, I just kept seeing him at times make plays, specifically, I think it was Rice where he had the interception return. Mm-hmm. Corey really hasn't gotten the attention of Tariq because he's not 6'5 like Tariq. Ken Robinson... I wouldn't say he's gotten a lot of attention, but Ken last year really seemed to be taking a lot of snaps after Tariq uh, was injured. So it seemed like any time we had attention for cornerbacks, it wasn't Corey. Yet he stepped up big. Um, you know, he did get injured at the end, at the last drive for Western Kentucky. Um, and it was interesting because I think he did cramp up. Trailer mentioned something about that, is that, you know, he had way too many guys cramping up at the end of the games. Mm-hmm. So... Certainly something to look at for the future, but, you know, I, I thought when Corey went down, I was like, well, this is even worse. Like, we've had, you know, Ken Robinson, I think, was in there, but at this point, now you're really starting to dig deep. You have mm-hmm. Jamal Sam, and who else? Because now you're really going to have to have some guys cover, and you didn't have Rashad Wisdom, so right. um, it just kind of shows just the job that Corey Mayfield did. With that, player of the game on defense is Clarence Hicks. Look, the Big Smooth had just played a hell of a game. He had an 82.5 PFF grade. He had a huge sack on Zappi. He just seemed to be affecting the game just by his pass rushing. And look, he's done that before during the season. But against Bailey Zappi, you needed to get in Bailey Zappi's head. And man, he was really talking some stuff when it came to um, some of those linemen. Uh, And he was getting held at times. And at times it was pretty bad, but... He had a relentless motor. And you know what? I just think he just had one hell of a game. So Absolutely. He seemed very fired up this game and he was he was ready to win. He looked like he wanted a championship and he played like it. And yep. that's exactly how the whole team played, but uh Big Smooth came through. Alright, before we go, let's talk a little bit about UTSA's bowl selection. And a bit of a curveball, we now know that we'll be going to the Frisco Bowl on Tuesday, December 21st, playing San Diego State. Lisa Campos said Sunday that they looked at the matchup, the location, fans, parents, student-athletes locations when deciding the matchup. But overall, what are your initial thoughts with this bowl selection? Well, I mean, you got San Diego State, which is, I would say, 
number two, maybe number three in the um, G5 uh, pecking order in terms of ranking this year. And then you've got UTSA, which is up there as well. So you've got the best G5 matchup, I think, possible. I don't think that we were going to get matched up against Houston for any reason because we're going to we, play them. Yeah, yeah. we're going to open up the season next season with them. So, you know, why are you going to do that? So I will say this about Brady Hogue. Uh, you know, he is, uh, he's, yeah, they called him a Matt Foley impersonator. If you don't know who Matt Foley is, look up Chris Farley's motivational speaker character that says, I live in a van down by the river. This has come up before with Brady Hoke when he coached at Michigan. They brought this up. And if you listen to him talk, he sounds like the raspy voice, Matt Foley. So they kind of made fun of him the whole time while he was there. And, um, I think this is going to come up again. Um, so what you're saying is we can have some meme fun, you know, oh, as we're, as we're preparing <laughs> for this bowl. Well, All right. there's going to be definitely meme fun, hashtag bootleg. Uh, so I think uh, bootleg will probably start bringing some of that up when, when we get to that point. But it's they're a good team. And while they may be limited in some areas, you know, we'll go into that into a bowl preview episode that we'll do uh, next week. Yeah, I mean, I, I understand um, there was strong reactions from different people about this bowl. But, you know, largely that was because... First of all, you know, we've been told multiple times over the last couple of weeks, it's the Independence Bowl, maybe the New Orleans Bowl, likely the Independence Bowl. You had the Independence Bowl reps coming to the last three games. They went on record with one of the news stations talking about how much they wanted UTSA and they wanted the UTSA-BYU matchup. Um, So I think, you know, it was one of those kind of last minute pivots that we really weren't expecting. And, you know, this is the bowl that we were selected for when we won seven games. But at the end of the day, what came out today from both J.J. Perez and um, Greg Luca was that, you know, even though the Independence Bowl really wanted us, the way that Conference USA sets up their bowl selections is that the champion um, in the bowl it goes to an ESPN Events Bowl, and the Independence Bowl is not one of the ESPN Events Bowl, and neither is the New Orleans Bowl. So, you know, really they got to pick who they wanted and and they put us, ESPN put us in, you know, Frisco. And at the end of the day, as Lisa Campos said, you know, it's driving distance. So that's good for the fans um, that, you know, can't fly or, or, you know, aren't inclined to fly. There is a large alumni base in DFW. It's a good recruiting, you know, tool. You know, the only kind of negative thing is it's on a Tuesday night. So in some cases, depending on vacation schedules, that might be harder for some fans to travel. But the other good news is that we're the only game on that night. So we're going to get more, more exposure, even though it's on ESPN versus ABC or CBS. Um, so, you know, again, to me personally, it was more of the great. We've got to rearrange things, try to figure out vacation, cancel flights, cancel hotels. Right, because we, yeah, we prepared we, for the Independence Bowl and the New Orleans Bowl, and that's all we pre-ordered tickets for. So that was what was was difficult when we looked at each other, and it was like we didn't pre-order for all the bowls. Now, I I think next season... (laughs) Yes, we will do this differently. We'll we'll do it differently because we will pre-order for all the bowls this this time. Um, So shame on us for that. But hopefully, if you're listening to this and you're able to, you should pre-order for every single one next year too because now, um, clearly, we can go anywhere. So, um, it's still, you know, I I think you've, we kind of talked about it, you know, between ourselves and that was that, you know, it, this is a smaller stadium. It's a soccer stadium. So, uh, it should be packed with orange and blue. Um, I don't know where San Diego state's going to get any fans in there because it felt like UTSA was buying up every single seat. Right. So, um, (laughs) you know, I, I I mean, we can pack 41,000 and we can definitely pack in the, 17.5 17.5 or whatever the stated capacity of the Frisco Bowl and they can expand apparently and have expanded on some events to up to like 22,000 but we can we can definitely pack that in um so you know the the good news is it'll definitely have that you know that feel of you know lots of UTSA fans um the sad thing is you know again it, it's not as large of a location or a venue so you know there might be some people who don't get to go if they wanted to so here's a question for you 
when you're in the we're the dome, obviously it's orange blue all around, and then mm-hmm. there's the visitor section, right? That's got the the pocket there, right? Right. Is that what you think it's going to look like for the fresco bowl? <laughs> or the fresco, fresco bowl, bowl yeah. <laughs> I do kind of think that that's sort of the vibe because I'm not really sure how well San Diego State travels. Um, you know, this year they kind of have this sort of odd situation where they're actually playing their home games in LA because. Um, their stadium is being renovated. You know, they haven't, it doesn't appear that they have had very good attendance with playing those games kind of in the LA area. So you would think if they're struggling to get fans to come from San Diego to LA, which lots of people commute between those two cities, although it's more like a two, two and a half hour commute, it's not completely out of the realm for people who live in Southern California to make that drive. But if they're not willing to make that drive for a ranked team, are they going to be willing to fly to Dallas to go to the Frisco Bowl? I don't know. It's a good point. I mean, just imagine UTSA having to play all their games at Daryl K. Memorial Stadium there in Austin. Yeah. Um, I'm sure we would still travel, but it would be less of a, I think, inspiration to do so because now you're having to travel an hour and a half up. Right, so, fight 35 traffic yeah. and whatever, yeah. <laughs> so um, it, it would be odd. So, um, look, it's going to be a fun matchup. It's already, I think, the top bowl matchup outside of the New, New Year's Six Bowls um, and the College Football Playoff Bowls. So, you know, that's got to say something. If they've, I would say, people feel about San Diego State versus UTSA. And it's kind of cool to think about the fact that, you know, we are one of the top G5 teams, and we get to play a top G5 team. So, yeah. uh, And maybe we can finally get rid of the bad mojo for the DFW area, because apparently we have not played well in Denton, Dallas, whatever, the last couple of years. I mean, we played much better, obviously, in the bowl game last year than we did um, this past year in, in North Texas, but... You know, that whole kind of DFW area sort of has bad mojo for us, so hopefully we can I think we'll be able to bust it. I I won't try to give a preview yet, but I think there's a good chance that we have, it's going to be a favorable matchup for us, and we're going to be able to get our first bowl in, which would be great. That was my prediction at the beginning of the season, so it's still on the table. First bowl win. Thank you for joining the Hail Married podcast. I'm Atoves. And I'm the Toves. We'll be back soon to preview the Frisco Bowl matchup. Birds up.